In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Well, good morning. We're two weeks into 2023. How are your New Year's resolutions going? Hopefully sticking with them. I didn't make any, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. But if you, like other millions of Americans, have made the resolution to get back in shape, perhaps you can relate to the middle-aged woman who recently emailed her pastor this. Hey, Jim, I know it's the beginning of a new year, but if you're going to preach on New Year's resolutions, please be advised that I don't need any more guilt trips. I've recently had my annual physical, and my doctor again encouraged me to lose some weight. He told me that I should join a gym and participate in some fitness classes. That's what I did. This past week, I gave it a go, and it was torture. For close to an hour, I jumped and kicked and twisted and turned and perspired and panted. But by the time I got my spandex on, the class was already over. Yes, I'm, I am sorry, but if you're going to get in shape, unfortunately, you're going to have to go through some hardship. It's going to be uncomfortable might be even painful sometimes. And the same is true with us spiritually. Today we're going to talk about how God uses the hard times of life to draw us closer to Him and help us be more spiritually fit. And we're going to do it as we kick off this brand new teaching series in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written to Christians in the city of Corinth back in the first century. People who were trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world that's constantly running away from Him. First, or second, 2 Corinthians verse 1 starts out saying this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by, the, by God's will and Timothy our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you also share in the comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. There's a lot going on here. But one thing that the Bible is making clear is that hardship and suffering, affliction, is just a part of everyday life in this broken and fallen world, especially when you're following Jesus. You know, most people, the the number one reason that people give for why they don't believe in God or they doubt His goodness or His power, it's, it's suffering, it's tragedy, it's a hardship that they experience. And I imagine that all of us, at some point in 2023, are going to experiencing some sort of discouragement, some sort of loss. And in those moments, we're going to have to say, okay, well, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Are we going to doubt in His goodness, or are we going to continue to trust Him? This text is making clear to us that hardship, that disappointment, that tragedy in our life is not an indication that God's not involved in our life, that He's not there but it's an opportunity for him to draw us closer to him and help us shine brighter for him in this dark world. Thirteen days ago, the Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin laid lifeless on a football field in Cincinnati. Millions of people were watching and millions of people began to pray for him to to heal, for him to come back to life for nine minutes. Trainers performed CPR, got a defibrillator out to get his heart start beating again. And for many days, he had to fight for his life in the ICU. I even saw one ESPN analyst on live TV say, hey, the Buffalo Bills are an organization that believe in prayer. And I don't know if this is appropriate right now, but I'm going to pray. And he just started praying on live TV, millions of people watching. A few days later, as Damar woke up, as all of a sudden doctors said there were signs of improvement, I saw Steve Mariucci, a former NFL coach, now analyst for the NFL Network on live TV, say, God answers prayers. God answers prayers. And I was watching that and I said, I believe that. I believe that God answers our prayers. But I began to think, if God answers prayers, why didn't he just bring DeMar back to life there on the field? Like when his heart had stopped beating, why did he have to go through nine minutes of that? Why why did he then have to fight for his life for many days thereafter in a a hospital bed? Why, 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 why Why put his family through that, God? But then I thought, well, if DeMar would have just bounced right back up off the turf, right, right, if he would have just come back to life, I would imagine most people wouldn't have been bowing on their knee all week for him. They wouldn't have been depending on God. They wouldn't have been calling out to their Heavenly Father to, to come and to help DeMar. Right? Most people would have probably said, oh, I guess, I guess it wasn't so bad. Maybe he just got the wind knocked out of him. Right? It would have been game on. And thousands of people wouldn't have donated over $8 million to a charity that now goes to help kids in his hometown. Right in this story, in Damar's story, we see how God uses hard things, the hard things in life, to draw us closer to Him, to help us rely on Him more, 
and give us an opportunity to shine brighter for him. And DeMar knows his story is bigger than him. That's why last week before their last game of the season when the Buffalo Bills played the Patriots, he tweeted, said, game on. He says, there's nothing I'd rather be doing right now than running out of that tunnel with my brothers. He said, but God is using me in a different way today. He said, go love somebody. I love somebody. Hardship, pain, sickness. It's not an indication that God's not at work in our life, but it's an opportunity for him to draw us closer to him and give us an opportunity to shine bright for him. And the, the good news is, or maybe this is the bad news, I don't know what it is, but we don't have to look for hardship, okay? We don't have to invite it into our lives. It's just going to happen. But we've got to decide, how are we going to respond to this hardship? My first ministry mentor was a guy named Breck Cockrell. He planted a church in Buffalo. I got to serve underneath his leadership. And he would tell our church, friends, you are either heading into a storm, sitting in the midst of a storm, or you're heading out of a storm. Because that's the only place you are in life. You're either heading into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or heading out of a storm. And, and that was true for the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, 2 Corinthians. You read his story in the book of Acts, and what do you see? You see him being blinded, his come-to-faith story in Jesus, his sickness, blindness. And all of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he starts following Jesus. And then it's what? Persecution after hardship, beatings, shipwrecks, sitting in jails. He's either heading into a storm, sitting in a storm, or heading out of a storm. He, he was a man that was personally acquainted and familiar with Jesus' words in Matthew 5 that say this, hey, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, because with less of you, there's more of God and His rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Yes, in our day of trouble, we are to do what Psalm 50 tells us to do. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. Yes, you will honor me. This is a picture of Ernie Johnson. So, some of you probably recognize Ernie. He's a sports broadcaster for the TNT Network. He's the host of Inside the NBA, co-hosts it with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. What you might not know about Ernie is that he's a follower of Jesus who's battled cancer not once, but twice. And, and 35 years ago, him and his wife were watching the television. They saw a news report about orphans that had been abandoned in Romania. And, and his, his wife, well, her heart went out to those children. And she said, Ernie, do you think maybe we could expand our family through adopting one of those children? And Ernie's like, I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for that. But why don't you go to Romania and see if you find a child who will be right for our family. And so Cheryl went to Romania the first child that she was introduced to was this young blonde boy that her, the caretakers at the orphanage says, don't take him. He's no good. He's no good. But, but Cheryl, the more time she spent with this young man, three-year-old kid who couldn't talk, he could just make some undiscernible noises. He had been abandoned after birth in a park. People found him, brought him to the orphanage. He hadn't been cared for. He was malnourished. And Cheryl's heart just broke for this young man, this young kid. And so she just couldn't get him out of her head. So she ends up calling Ernie at the end of her stay, at the end of the week, and says, Ernie, I think I found the one. I think I found the one. He's way too much for us to handle. But I can't imagine living the rest of my life always wondering, whatever happened to that blonde boy from Romania? So Ernie said, bring him home. 
bring him home. And so she brought him home and they adopted this young man, gave him the name Michael. You know, he's diagnosed with many disorders, many disabilities. Eventually he was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a disease that attacked every muscle, fiber in his body, left him paralyzed. He was, ended up living in a wheelchair. He would get up every morning. People would feel sorry for him, but he didn't feel sorry for himself. He just got up to put a smile on other people's faces. He'd go to high school and one day he was in his high school class and the high school basketball coach came in and introduced himself to Michael. And on his way out of the classroom, Michael said, I love you too, coach. I love you too. And the coach says, what did he say? What did he say, the teacher? And his teacher said, oh, that, don't, don't worry about Michael. That's what he says to everybody. He says, that, he says that phrase to everybody, I love you too. But the coach was so moved by Michael's kindness and his love, he went to the office, not knowing who Michael's dad was. He looked up his home phone number and called up his dad and said, would it be all right if Michael joined the basketball team? And Ernie kind of chuckled like, I don't think he's going to score many points for you, and I think he's going to be kind of slow to the ball on defense, but he's like, I know, I know, I know. But I want Michael on my team to teach our boys about giving it your all, and about loving others. And so Ernie said, sure, he can be on the team. And so Michael would show up to practice just to encourage those teammates, and he would sit behind the bench during games. And he never played a game, obviously, but on his senior night, he was recognized by his coach. He took his wheelchair and rode it out to center court. And as the coach recognized him, the whole student body held up this signal saying, I love you. I love you. A, a, a love that he was able to teach those students. A love that he had learned from his father. Because they had this special bond as this video illustrates. So let's watch this video. You're looking good, kid. Looking good, Looking good, kid. We're buds. We spend a lot of time together. The good thing about my schedule is that I don't have to be downtown every day. Hey, Dad. Hey. Hey, Mom, too. I love you, too. I'm static. I'm his dad, obviously. I'm his buddy. We just like to do stuff together. Sorry, Daddy. <laughs> what? I love you so much. I love you so much. March 26, 2014. Ernie's in the studio until 3 a.m. A few hours later, he's up. The car show's gonna be cool. The car show is gonna be cool. Today is a big day. Michael lives for the car show every year. He loves it. He is so obsessed with cars, and he'll get that high-pitched, Daddy, as soon as the first car show commercial comes on. That's Christmas, Disneyland, all rolled up in one. On hook for two seconds, okay? Ready? Two, three. guys hanging out today, right? Okay, I hear you. Yeah, you and me. Daddy. Daddy, Michael. Says this way to the auto show. He is perfectly and wonderfully made. Toyota. Toyota? Yeah, Toyota, yes. Toyota's right there. Here we go. Look at that. Yes. Yes. 
That one smells real new. That smells well new. Look. Sometimes our expectations get so high and our our desires get so high for the next this or the next that. Thank you very much. Hey, Michael, here we go. Michael, here we go. Inside. A Honda C-Wheel. You give Michael a car magazine or laminate a picture for him, and it's like, I hit the lottery. I like it, this. Should I go to Daddy's? Yeah. Should I go to Daddy's car? Yeah. He's whole. He's, um... He's got to figure it out. You know, Ernie's an accomplished sports writer, journalist, but he says, that's my son. That's my son. I want to take care of him. I want to love him. Unfortunately, Michael passed away a little over a year ago, but not before teaching the whole student body about loving others. A love that, that he had received from his father, a, fa a love that, that his father had received from his heavenly father. In 1997, Ernie experienced that love for the very first time when he surrendered his life to Christ. Ernie says that day changed everything for him. He says it was a life-changing day. Only at that moment was I able from that point on in my life to switch from having a me-centered life to a God-centered life. He says that day everything changed and began to live by this motto, trust God, period. That's his motto, trust God, period. He said I trust God when the diagnosis is in my favor and when it's not. I trust God when he gives and when he takes away. Trust him in the good times and I trust him in the hard times because he says only God. He says only God will take an orphan who his caretakers say are no, is no good and connect him with a basketball coach in Georgia who wants to teach his athletes about loving others and about hard work and determination and end up teaching a whole school about loving others. Only God. Only God. Only God, the God that verse 3 describes as the Father of mercies. The fathers of mercy, the God of comfort. Yes, our heavenly Father is the God who loves us so much He would adopt us, no good sinners, into His family. He's the God of all comfort. Verse three continues saying He comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It's oftentimes the reason why God allows His children to go through hard times, is so that we can receive His comfort and then share it with a world that desperately needs it. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Following Jesus doesn't make the pain go away. My friends, following Jesus makes the pain count. Makes the pain count as we learn to serve others who needs God's comfort. This is Wally Simmons. Many of you probably know him or at least recognize him. He's always out. Unless he's out of town, he's going to be at the front parking cars. Being a smiling face, a friendly face, making you feel welcome here. He's also the leader of our Celebrate Recovery ministry here. I asked if I could share some of his story. He says, as long as you tell people about Celebrate Recovery, about this ministry that we have here, that's, that's there to offer comfort to people who are hurting. A community of people focused on helping people in their journey to recovery, helping people find healing from their hurts, their hang-ups, and bad habits. He leads that ministry, and he's also the safety manager for Fairfax County. So he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of, on his plate, and yet what you'll find Wally doing on nights and weekends is calling people that he's sponsoring, taking through, walking through the 12 steps of recovery. What you'll see him doing on Friday nights is he's at Celebrate Recovery, and then afterwards he's making sure everybody's cared for, making sure, sure nobody leaves without a hug, without a prayer, without being heard. 
during the pandemic, he had to do our, our Discovering CR, kind of our introduction to Celebrate Recovery so you can be part of our Friday night share groups. He had to do that one-on-one with people via Zoom. So his, his weekends, his nights were filled with that. But he did that, not because he had to, because he, he wanted to. Why? Because he knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to go through a hard time and his heart goes out to people that are hurting, that are grieving because, well, he's a wounded warrior. Because he knows what it's like to battle addictions and lose. Because he knows what it's like to raise a child and not get it right all the time. Because he knows the heartbreak of divorce. And so his heart breaks for people that are hurting. And so he gives his time, his attention to be a comfort to those who need that comfort. I get to serve on the leadership team with Wally underneath him. And there are days when I'm like, I'm ready to quit. I'm like, recovery ministry is time consuming. It's energy draining. But then I think about Wally. And, and, I, and I think about Wally and I, I'm like, man, if I could just be able to be a little more empathetic like Wally is. If I could just have a little bit more wisdom like Wally. There are nights that, that on a Friday night that we're doing celebrate recovery and people come up to me and they share their burdens. They share what they're going through. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, I, I don't have anything good to say. I have no idea what it's like to go through that. I've never been through that personally. So I do my best to be empathetic. I do my best to comfort them. I do my best to say, I'm sorry with what you're going through. And I, I just say, okay, hey, can we pray? And we pray. And then I often say, hey, have you talked to Wally about this? H- have you shared this with Wally? Because he would have more wisdom on this. He would have more empathy. He would have more, more comfort for you because he's been through it. I haven't. See, that's what God oftentimes does. He uses our hardship to not only build an empathy for people that are hurting, which gives us motivation to spend time to reach out to people that are hurting, but also gives us more wisdom to know how do we help people, right? How do we help people that are hurting? What to say, what not to say, when to show up, when not to show up. It's hard to know that unless you've gone through that yourself. So verse 5 continues saying this, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Yes, how do we receive this comfort that puts us in a position to serve people that are hurting? We look to Jesus and his sufferings. We, we know that, that he's not offering comfort, that he, he hasn't gone through himself, had to receive from his heavenly Father. You know, just think about it this way. How would we ever be able to value and cherish the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us unless we've gone through hardship? Or how, how will we ever be able to value the pain that Jesus endured on our behalf when he went to the cross and left so we've experienced some physical pain. If you've never been betrayed by a friend, if you've, if you've never been lied about, never been blind, never experienced emotional, physical pain, how are we ever going to appreciate what Christ has done for us when he went to the cross? You know, through our hardship, what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for going through this and so much more when you endured and you paid the penalty that I deserved on the cross. And our love for God, our love for Christ increases in our pain, in our hardship when we turn our eyes to the sufferings of Christ. And the reason why we know of Christ and His sufferings is because early Christians, the earliest followers of Jesus, They followed in his footsteps of suffering. And when suffering came to their lives, they didn't say, oh, God must not be there. 
They, they didn't say, oh, this must be a sign that I put my faith in the wrong Savior. No, they said, Jesus suffered, our King suffered for us, and so this is par for the course when we follow Him. And when they experienced persecution, when Nero, Emperor Nero, started dipping started dipping Christians in lighter fluid and paling them on stakes and lighting them on fire so he could look at his plants and his gardens at night. Christians didn't shrink back from their faith, but they shine brightly for Jesus as they continued to tell more people about him. And, and when, when there were famines in the first century, it was, it was Christians who were first to the plate to start taking up offerings, donations, to be able to feed those who were hungry because they said, we have been fed from the bread life the bread of heaven and we need to share what we've received with others and when a pandemic spread throughout the roman world it was christians who didn't run to the countryside to where they could be safe but they ran to the cities where the people were dying people were sick and they nursed them back to health because they said we have been healed by the great physician and we aren't afraid of what's on the other side of death they took the comfort they had received and they shared it with others and that's why the message of christ continued to multiply and eventually got to you and me. They took the comfort they had received and they shared it with others, kind of like our friend Gail Toth. Gail's a new lifer. Back in 1996, she got the news that no parent would ever want to hear. Her two-year-old daughter, Jennifer, had been diagnosed with cancer. Fortunately, through treatment, a lot of prayer, Jennifer ended up beating that cancer. And shortly after her last treatment with chemotherapy, the family went up to Camp Sunshine up in Maine, a camp that provides free retreats for families with children with life-threatening illnesses. And they came back from their time at Camp Sunshine, refreshed, encouraged, and they said, we can't keep this to ourselves, right? We've received comfort. We can't keep it to ourselves. We need to share it with other people. And so they've been back every single summer, not to be campers, but to serve, to volunteer and to take the comfort they have they've received and share it with people that are now going through the battle that they once faced. And 15 years ago, Gail said, I want to do more. I want to do more. I, I don't want to just serve the people that are there. I want to raise money for this camp so that it can expand. It can continue its, its help for people for the years to come. And so 15 years ago, she started the Virginia Polar Dip. The Virginia Polar Dip, her goal is to raise a million dollars. We're close to reaching that goal. And I'd never heard of it until a few weeks ago when she emailed me and said, hey, would you be a part of it this year would you put a team together and I thought you're asking a kid from Buffalo to jump in a lake and rest in in February might as well be a hot tub okay of course I'm gonna do it I'm in okay here we go and, and so we're raising money I'm putting a team together if, if you really if you want to join my team you can join my team if you want to contribute to the team you can contribute email me at seanc at newlife.church and help Gail continue to share the comfort she has received, share it with others. And think for yourself, what has God brought you through? What has he brought you through? What comfort have you received from God that you need to share with somebody else? Has he brought you through cancer? Maybe he's going to bring someone to your attention today who is going through that struggle right now. You know what it was like, right? You know what it was like to face those days, to face those battles. So reach out to him. Say, hey, how can I support you? How can I care for you? How can I pray for you this week? Maybe you're a single parent. Kids are older now, but you remember what it was like being a single parent with young kids, the stress, the loneliness, not, not feeling appreciated. Don't forget what it was like. 
Don't forget what it was like. And, and look out for that single parent, maybe here at church, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe at your work. And reach out to them. Say, hey, I, I see what you're doing for your kids. I see the sacrifices that you're making for them. And, and know that you're not alone. I was there once and I want to help you. I want to support you and offer to babysit, give them a night off. Do what you wish someone had done for you when you were in their stage of life. Or, or do what someone did for you then. Pass on the comfort you have received and share it with somebody else. Maybe God's brought you through a financial hardship. If that's true, maybe God's calling you to partner with our Passion for Community ministry that helps people transition out of homelessness into permanent housing. What, what has God brought you through? Has He brought you through divorce, infidelities? He brought you through some addiction? God didn't bring you through that so you can just leave everybody else in the dust. He's brought you through it so you can take those people and say, hey, walk with me. Let's walk together towards more healing, towards more comfort in our Heavenly Father. You know, God allows us to go through hard times to draw us closer to Him, to help us shine brightly for Him, but sometimes He allows us to go through hard times. So the, the, the grip that we have on the things of this world, the things that are oftentimes good, but maybe take up too much uh, of, a, of a sacred place in our lives, our jobs, our relationship with our money, our relationship with other people. Sometimes we have a death grip on those things, and God says, I'm going to allow you to go through a hardship so that your death grip is not on those things, but on me. So the text continues saying this, verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You've ever been there? Can you relate to Paul? Have you ever felt like you had received the sentence of death? Ever been there, waking up, taking all the energy you had just to get, get your clothes on and get to work? Right? Paul says he's, he's despaired even of life itself. It seems like he's depressed, right? Struggling with clinical depression, not wanting to go on, wondering where's the hope. But he says in the midst of it, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the hardship, God used it for good because God drew me closer to him. Help me to learn to depend on Him and nothing else. And nothing else. And I know it's hard, sometimes hard to see that. Sometimes hard to see how God can use this tragedy, how God can use the sickness, and how, how, how losing things that are so precious to us can be good. But when we see it in the light of eternity and realizing the things that we oftentimes so hold so dear are things that are temporary, if God can get us to hold on to Him, that which is eternal, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Let me illustrate that by telling this last story. This is Helen Lemel. She was born in Europe in the late 19th century. She was an accomplished pianist and singer, got to travel all over Europe and perform. She actually married into a rich aristocratic family. So she had every comfort a woman would ever want. Shortly after her marriage, she and her husband moved to the United States, and unfortunately she got sick. She got sick, and her sickness robbed her of her eyesight, went blind almost overnight, embarrassed, and not wanting to be inconvenienced by a blind wife, her husband divorced her, left her penniless. 
discouraged, heartbroken, wondering, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? In one of those dark moments of her life, she cried out to God, and she felt like the Holy Spirit said this. Helen, you may have lost your ability to see, but you haven't lost your ability to sing. With those words of comfort, she went back to the piano, a small children's piano that was the only piano that she could afford. And she began composing music. M- music not for herself, but for others. And music that talked about the goodness of God even when life is not. She began composing hymns. Hymns that were eventually sung by Christians all over the world. She became the most prolific hymn writer in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. I imagine some of you are probably familiar with one hymn, a hymn that she wrote shortly after she lost her eyesight. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Helen Lemel will tell you that following Jesus doesn't make the pain go away. Following Jesus makes the pain count, my friends. And one day, one day, Jesus promised that he's coming back. He's coming back, and the book of Revelation says that he is going to come back, and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eye, and on that day, death, sickness, depression, divorce will be no more because the former things, the Bible tells us, will be a thing of the past. It will all be taken away. That day is coming. Until we get that day, friends, may me be people who receive God's comfort so that we can share it with others. What is your next step today? Perhaps it is surrendering your life to Christ for the very first time, receiving that comfort from your Heavenly Father. Maybe it's reaching out to somebody who's going through a hard time. Whatever it is, I pray that you would Have the courage to take that next step and to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of our Father, who's sitting on his throne in heaven. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that we serve a God who is not aloof, who is not unaware of our sufferings, but we serve you, one who understands what it's like to lose a child. One who's like, who knows what it's like to see a child go through suffering. God, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father who is the Father of all mercies. And so God, I pray that in these next few moments that God, you would speak to us. That God, you would give us your comfort so we can comfort others, so we can shine brightly for you in the world today. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.